Now I want to start off this morning pretty much the way I do every Sunday by reading some words that are alive and active, words that are sharper than a double-edged sword, words that were and still are literally breathed by God the Father, the maker of heaven and earth, words that encourage, that challenge, that build up, words that spur on and give us courage, words that teach us, words that correct us, words that show us the right way to live, uh, words that are able to thoroughly equip us for every good work. Words that are true, words that give life, and words that though the grass withers and the flowers fall, will stand forever. And words that Paul wrote to some Jesus followers living in the city of Ephesus 2,000 years ago. Uh, hear these words. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his very own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he'll bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Man, I love it. Like, like all the craziness, all the wrong, all the, all the upside-downness, if that's a word, of this dark and broken world. Listen, one day it all, everything will be made right. Furthermore, because we're united with Christ, we receive an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance and makes everything work out according to his plan. I mean, what powerful truths about who we are and what we have in Christ. Amen? And so what we're going to do here is, on the count of three, we're going to say these truths right here. We're going to speak them. And we're going to stand up to do it, right? Act like you're at a football game and you're a Bama fan yesterday, right? Sorry, Georgia fans. That was rough. Rough one. All right? On the count of three, we're just going to hit these, right? And if we do well, we'll go to the next slide. If not so well, we'll, we'll, we'll hang out here. But these, like... These are all true. And this is more exciting than your team winning the championship, right? This is about your eternity and what you have in Christ. And when you say these, believe them here, right? Okay, and, account, and after I say three, right? Is it on three? Is it after three? I could mess up, but right now I'm thinking it's going to be after three, okay? You all ready? One, two, three. I am free. I am forgiven. I am adopted. I am chosen. Next slide. I am blessed. I have an inheritance. I have peace. I have grace. I am holy. I am without fault in his eyes. I belong to Christ. My future is secure. May God bless the reading and proclamation of his word. 
Father God, we love you. We humbly come into your presence. We recognize that you are the maker of heaven and earth, that you're the God who breathes out stars, who holds oceans in his hands, who slays giants, tears down walls, parts seas, and fills our life with good things. I pray, Lord, that we would just give you our attention right now and hear what you would have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Hey, welcome to week five, the final week of our series, One Another Doing Church Together. A series where we are unpacking some of the one another passages that we find in the New Testament. Some of the commands and decrees and regulations and instructions from God to us about how we are to operate relationally in his church, in this Jesus gathering. Listen, here's the deal. Nothing is more important in the church than our unity and our oneness. Nothing. Nothing is more important than the character and quality of our relationships. And that's why we are commanded by God to make every effort to see that this unity, you know, the, the Father, God the Father and God the Son unity is a reality in this place. Question, are you making every effort to do that? Have you made any effort to do that? Remember, our unity and our oneness is the only thing that Jesus prayed for us in the garden. Our unity and our oneness is the way the world will know, is the only way the world will know that Jesus is the real deal, that he was sent by God, and that he loves them just as he loved Jesus. Our unity and our oneness is the only solid, undeniable evidence that proves and demonstrates to our lost, broken, and so tragically divided world that we really are disciples. By this, the world will know. And so the all-important question is, how, how is this oneness and this unity fleshed out in our lives? Well, by embracing, by living out the one another commands we see scattered throughout the New Testament, like the ones we've looked at the past few weeks. Question, so who are you one anothering? Like, since November the 7th, have you carried anyone's burdens? I mean, have you walked in this room looking for someone who looks downcast and say, hey, how can I lift you up? Have you forgiven anybody? A hurt that you've hold, held on for so long. Have you encouraged anyone? And we're trying to make that easy. Last week we had these cards, right? You know, um, and I got to tell you, I, I had a, a young fourth grader walk up to me and hand me a card at the end of service last week. And it it's taped up on my desk now. It'll be there until the Lord comes back. And it was so, I wasn't expecting it. I thought he was wanting a candy bar because he filled out his outline. to go, whoa, it's not, it's not, you don't want a candy bar. You wanted to give me a spiritual candy bar, a spiritual almond M&Ms, which are my favorite, right? And, and it lifted me up. And I filled out a couple of these this week. I hope you did. I hope every week you make, make it a goal. Hey, I'm going to encourage at least one person this week. I'm going to text them, I'm going to call them, I'm going to write them a note. And the cool thing about notes that are written, you, you do get to tape them somewhere. And, and I have them plastered all over my desk. People over the years have sent me a little note, just a note of encouragement, right? But, but who doesn't want to be a part of a church that does that, right? That carries one another's burdens, that forgives each other, and that encourages each other. And this morning we're going to look at another one another command. And, and I got to tell you that Unpacking these one another commands, 
it's been incredible. I mean, I have felt God's presence, God's spirit, God's power, and God's pleasure each week. And I know some of you felt the same thing. And no wonder, right? I mean, think about it. We are tangibly becoming an answer to the prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden 2,000 years ago while he sweat drops of blood. A prayer that we would be one. And listen, this one anothering, one another, must become part of the DNA of our church. Like, it can't stop just because the series ends, right? We, we must continue to chase after one another doing church together from this day forward till our king returns. And that's why I've decided in 2022, though we're moving on from the series, that, that I'm going to do a, a one another moment. You know, I don't know, every week, every other week, where I'm going to take a few minutes and grab one of the many one another commands so that this is out in front of us all the time, because it is that important, right? What's important in the coming year is not what program we're going to build, what we're going to do here. No, what's important is how can we get better at one another and one another? How can we tangibly love one another just as Jesus loved us, right? It's that important. But I encourage you, you know, I got some, there's some cards in that back table where you can sign up, hey, for a life group. And, or you just say, you know what, I, I don't know if life groups may not work for me, but I don't want to do life alone. What can I do, right? You know, what can I do? Because you may think, hey, my life's going good. I don't need to be around other people. I'm, I'm, I'm good. Well, guess what? Some people aren't good. It's not about you. Maybe it's about you being in a relationship with someone else that you could help them, okay? And this morning, we're going to unpack a passage found in Hebrews chapter 10, spurring one another on. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, Paroxumas. That's what the word spur means. Paroxumas. I got it in my notes. Paroxumas, right? And I probably pronounced it wrong. If you're visiting, I've got nothing to say. <laughs> I practice all the time trying to say words right. And you get more than one syllable, it's, you know, it's, hey, maybe, maybe not, right? And, and as I said last week, the book of Hebrews was written to people who were giving up. It was written to Jewish background believers who were throwing in the towel, who were quitting. It is written to men and women who were saying, I can't take it anymore. Following Jesus is just too hard. We're losing friends. We're losing property. Some of our folks have been thrown into jail. Our world is shattered. So let me go back to where I came from. You ever felt that way? Like giving up? Like what you're doing for Christ and his church is not working and is not worth it any longer. So the writer of Hebrews tells these discouraged Jesus followers, don't go back. I know you want to go back. I know you feel like going back. I know that you think it's not worth it to keep going. I know it doesn't look like this Jesus thing is really working for you, but keep going. Don't stop. Don't turn around. Keep pressing forward. Because even though you cannot see it now, it is worth it. And in the end, it'll be more worth it than you could ever even imagine. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And when I was thinking about this idea of spurring one another on, Yo, online people, I didn't forget you. That camera used to sit right here, and I couldn't, you're up there. Yo, all right, glad you're here, all right. Put this cereal bowl down and say amen for me. Thank you out there, all right. 
I'm not well. I was on a submarine, nuclear power, it's just, it explains everything. But I began to think about this idea of what is a picture of what it looks like to spur someone on? And the image that I was thinking, hey, you know what? I think an image of a coach spurring on a team or spurring on a particular player. Like, so here's some images, right? right? All right, guys, you know, we're behind, but you got this. We can turn this thing around, right? Here's another picture I found. I like this one. I like the little kid's hand on the coach. All right, all right, guys, you're doing okay. I know we're down by 25 points, but you know what? We can turn this thing around. Then you got this one here. You got this, right? Get your act together, right? Uh, we know who that guy is, right? And I like this one right here. It's okay. It's okay. You got this. Get back in there. I believe that you can do it. A coach spurring on. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And, and here's how I want to attack our extremely critical and potentially life-changing conversation and the reason I think it's life-changing is because God's Word is life-changing, right? I'm not out up here spouting my opinion. I'm spouting God's Word. And I believe in the power of God's Word. And I believe that in someone's life, right, in this room right now, God's Word will spur them on this morning. And they'll be doing things for the kingdom that they never even imagined. And so I want to I talk about the why and the how of spurring one another on. Why should we spur one another on. And as I began to think about, like, why, why do you spur one another on? I, my mind went back to an image of a coach spurring one another on. And as I did, I, I could see, hey, here's three reasons why I think a coach would do that. I mean, did you ever have a coach as a kid growing up? And, and, and did your coach spur you on? And why, why do you think he, he spurred you on before the game and during the game and maybe after the game? Okay, so let me try to paint a, a picture of this. On April the 29th, uh, the NFL held round one of the 2021 draft. And, and to go in the first round, right, you know, even if you're not the first overall, it's like a really big deal. Well, the 15th pick that year went to the New England Patriots. Always a way to work this in. Mike's going, he did it again, right? And they drafted a 22-year-old graduate student out of University of Alabama named Mac Jones. And from the moment they drafted him, there he is right there, hey, number one, yay, right? And, and the coaches of the Patriots began to try to spur Mac Jones on, right? Got some pictures I found. You got this, you got this, you can do it, right? Spurring him on. Here's another picture, right? Hey, let us beat you with these things to spur you on. You're gonna pass this ball, we're gonna make it hard for you, we're gonna spur you on. And then we got Josh McDaniels again in this picture. Hey, come on. You got this. You can do it. And then we got the kind and cuddly Bill Belichick, right? It's okay, Matt. You're good. It'll be okay. And Again, why are these coaches so intent on spurring Mac Jones on? I can think of three reasons. Number one, they made a pretty significant investment. The 15th overall pick and a, a four-year contract worth $15.8 million dollars. How much do you make in four years? Anybody make $15.8 million? If so, I want to find out what your giving statement is because we're, we're looking fat on that budget right now. 10%, $1.5 I'm feeling pretty good. Welcome to Maple Grove. Glad you're here. <laughs> Let me give you a seat of honor that Jesus says, you're an idiot. Why'd you do that? You know, 
okay? A, a, a big investment. Number one, because Mac Jones has great potential. His final year at Alabama, he threw for 4,500 yards, 41 touchdowns with only four interceptions. His passer rating that year was 203.1, and his completion rate was 77.4%, all NCAA records. And if you don't like football, I apologize, but I like football, right? In the college football championship last year, they beat Ohio State. Mac Jones threw for 464 yards and five touchdowns. Not only that, he's a very smart kid. He graduated last year with, a, with his master's degree and a 4.0 GPA. And he earned the Academic All-American of the Year honors in that year. So he has great potential physically and, and mentally. And also, they wanted to have positive consequences. Right? They, they wanted the Spur on to develop a quarterback that could be a franchise quarterback that will help them win a lot of games. And winning is fun, right? Winning is fun. And having a quarterback you can count on is valuable, right? And, and see, they're spurring them on because they know it doesn't always work out that way when you draft somebody, right? And, and again, guys who love football, ladies like footballs, so this is great. Those who don't, Paul used sporting analogies, so I'm being biblical right now. Okay, Paul would like football, right? And, and, and so here's a picture I have right here. Anybody know who this guy is? His name is Ryan Leaf. In 1988 in the draft, right, you know, the two, two quarterbacks, Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf, looked to be the greatest. Indianapolis Colts had the first pick. And what, what San Diego did is they, they were number three. They moved up to number two. And to do that, they traded their third pick that they had that year their first pick in the next year, their second pick in the next year, and a three-time pro bowler named Eric Metcalf so they could move up and sure they got the quarterback. The Colts took Peyton Manning, and San Diego took Ryan Leaf. They signed into a four-year contract worth $31.25 million. $11.25 was guaranteed, the largest ever paid to a rookie at the time. He had a four-year career, 3,600 yards, 14 touchdowns and 36 interceptions. In NFL top 10, he was voted the number one draft bust in NFL history. And the Pats do not want that kind of consequences, so they're spurring Mac Jones on because of their investment, because of his potential, and because of the consequences. And they'll continue to spur him on. Why should we spur one another on? The same three reasons. Because of God's investment, because of the potential of those we're spurned on, and because of the consequences if we do, and the consequences if we don't spur them on. Understand, God the Father and God the Son have made an incredible investment in and for every Jesus follower. The writer of Hebrews talks about this in the first part of Hebrews chapter 10, the same chapter we find our verse, our text, Hebrews 10, 24. This is pretty crazy stuff here. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, this is Jesus speaking, speaking to God, sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you will not be pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll, I have come to do your will, my God. And then we read, first he said, Hebrew writers talking here, sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you do not desire, 
nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, Jesus, here I am. I've come to do your will. He set aside the first to establish the second. The old covenant established the new. And by that will, we've been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Someone say, once for all. Once for all. You see, the investment that God made on you is not the blood of bulls and goats, but the brutal sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Get it? Good. Paul writes about the same investment in Ephesians chapter 1. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. And Peter really nails down this investment in 1 Peter chapter 1. For you know that it's not with perishable things such as gold or silver that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors or passed on to you from this corrupt, broken, dark world, but with the precious blood of Jesus, a lamb without blemish or defect. Understand God the Father has made an immeasurable investment and God the Son has paid an incredible price a whole lot more than a $5.8 million rookie contract, all so that we and the person we are spurring on can be forgiven, free, restored, redeemed, made holy, reconciled, and adopted into God's family. And listen, no one, no one has or ever will, no one has or ever will pay a higher price for you or make a greater investment in you. No one has or ever will pay a higher price for you or make a greater investment in you than Jesus Christ and God the Father already has. Get it? Good. And not only that, but, but God has placed an unbelievable deposit in every Jesus follower. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Talk about an investment. God gave his son, the son gave his body and blood, and the spirit is a deposit in you guaranteeing what is to come. Why should we spur one another's on? Because God's investment in every Jesus follower, because of their potential. Understand, every Jesus follower has an incredible potential. An unexplainable, apart from God, potential. Just a few verses. Here's one. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Understand, the person that you are called to spur on has the potential to be a new creation. Has the potential for all the old things to pass away. And for all the new things to rage on. In other words, every Jesus follower has the potential to be new. And become more newer every single day. Amen? Amen? All right, I was hoping you liked that because it's like it's true. I think it's pretty awesome. And here's what we read in Ephesians chapter 2. For we are God's masterpiece. Whose masterpiece? Your masterpiece? Your parents' masterpiece? Your spouse's masterpiece? This broken world's masterpiece? No, you are God's masterpiece. It's the Greek word poema where we get our English word for poem. 
You are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Understand, every Jesus follower is a, is a lump of clay in the hands of God Almighty. Every Jesus follower is a canvas on the easel of God. And listen, there really are good works that God has prepared in advance for every Jesus follower to do, including you, including the person you're called to spur on. And listen, you can do those because God prepared you to do those. Why should we spur other Jesus followers on to love and good deeds? Because of God's investment, their potential, because of the consequences. Now, consequences can be either good or bad, right? And we get that, right? I mean, we know that. I mean, we know that certain actions and behaviors lead to good consequences, and certain actions and behaviors lead to bad consequences. So, so what are the good consequences for spurring one another on? Let's consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. What are the, what are the good consequences? Love and good deeds. Someone say love and good deeds. Love and good deeds. See, when we spur one another on, they will live in, live from, and live out God's kind of love. A love that is patient, a love that is kind. A love that's not easily angered, a love that does not keep a record of wrongs, a love that is not self-seeking, a love that does not dishonor others, a love that does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth, that keeps no record of wrongs. And listen, listen, this kind of love will well up inside of them and flow out from them, showing this world that we really, that they really are his disciples. Not only that, but the people you are spurring on will live a life that is full of good deeds, Good deeds that help other people. Good deeds that give hope to the hopeless, drink to the thirsty, food to the hungry, freedom to the captive, salvation to the lost, and belonging to the lonely. Good deeds that will have a lasting impact that echo out into eternity. Good deeds that will shine before all people, causing them to praise our awesome and amazing God in heaven. Amen? Listen, within every Jesus follower is the incredible potential of love and good deeds. In Maple Grove, it would be, and it is, such a shame to waste God's investment and never unleash that potential. And unfortunately, it happens all the time. Not only is that potential wasted, but so many awesome, no, let me change that, but there are often extremely negative consequences that happen, like this. Like people never becoming all that God wants them to be and created them to be. Like, like people continuing in behaviors and attitudes that are destructive to them and to those around them. Like the love, God's kind of love that this world so desperately needs never being lived out, never being shared, never being seen or experienced. Negative consequences like countless good deeds and works that God prepared in advance for people to do, never getting done. Negative consequences like people wandering away and shrinking back from the faith. Negative consequences like facing the judgment and punishment of God. In fact, God says that very thing in Hebrews chapter 10, the same chapter where a verse is. Just a few verses down from Hebrews 10.34. Listen. 
That's my phone. That was God. He texted me about this time. Saying, you're doing good, but speed it up a bit. Um, If we deliver, keep on sinning after we receive the knowledge of the truth. If we deliver, keep on sinning. If we live in sin, we don't repent of our sin. We keep walking in the ways of sin. After we receive the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and the rage and fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anybody scared? Now, we can debate what that means. I think we all agree. That doesn't sound too good, right? It doesn't sound too good. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You know, God is merciful, God is full of grace, but God is holy, and God is just, and God is fair. And you want to make sure you're on God's side, right, and not on the other side. Why should we spur one another on to love and good deeds? Because of God's investment, because of their potential, and because of the consequences. We want good consequences, not the bad consequences. And how do we spur one another on? Let us consider, and that word consider means to perceive, to observe, to understand, to discover, to fix one's eyes on, to think upon, to ponder, to notice, to contemplate. The word spur, paroxymos, stirring up, provoking, irritation, incitement, to stimulate. So, so here, here are three ways that, that I think are practical ways that you and I can spur one another on. We got the why, here's the how. Number one, you spur on one another with your presence. Hebrews 10, 24, here's where we read. It's a whole verse, right? Let, let us not give up meeting together. Let us not give up what? Meeting together as some are the habit of doing. Maple Grove, COVID has played such a huge role of causing people to develop the habit of not gathering together with God's church. I was talking to some pastors downtown, Pastor Bates and Pastor Ward, and, and they were just sharing how so many of their folks, like we've experienced here, just have not come back yet. You know, that they're down over 50% of the people that were here before COVID, right? It's helped people develop the habit. And here what's, here's what Scripture says. Let us not give up meeting together as some are the habit of doing, right? But we need to encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. You see, you can't spur one another on if you're not around one another. Now, I'm, I'm the furthest thing from a cowboy, but here's a picture of a spur, right? Now, if this cowboy left his spur back at the ranch, how effective would that spur be in him trying to spur that horse on? Not very, right? Like, like he has to have this. I'm not, I'm not a cowboy, but I, I, I figure, you know what? If I want to spur my horse on, I, got to, I can't leave my spur at the ranch. I've got to put that sucker on my boot or else it's not going to work, right? You don't need to be a rocket scientist or a cowboy to see that, right? Listen, we must be together and spend time together in order to encourage and in order to be encouraged, Get it? Good. I love the story about a guy named Otto Appleton. I came across in my studies this week. He's 90 years old. He was 90 years old, a lifetime member of his church, when a 25-year-old guy became the new pastor. And, and, and Otto had crippling arthritis that even to, to lift his head up caused severe pain. And, and his hearing was almost completely gone. His eyesight was so poor he could barely see. Nevertheless, every Sunday, Otto made his way to church. And this young guy, new pastor, after observing this for about a year, said, Otto, 
Why do you make this monumental effort every week to be in church when you can't hear what's going on and you can't see anything? And I would have smiled and said, I come for the children. I want them to know that it's important to be here. I come for the children. In my years of ministry, I've seen a lot of people coming with walkers and you know, there's tennis balls just rolling all around. You know, come with their walkers and, 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 and being sick. I've seen people with cancer undergoing chemotherapy where they weren't awake because their hair has fallen out. And guess what? They just want to be with God's people. They have every reason in the world, right, to stay home. But they no, I got to be there. I want people to know that it's so important to gather with God's people. Listen, your presence, each, your presence here each week, it matters, and one of the reasons you're here, one of the purposes for you when you walk through that door and for me is to look for ways, consider ways that we can spur one another on to love and good deeds. Amen. I say let's make that part of our DNA. We spur by our presence and by our example. Do you know what chapter comes right after Hebrews chapter 10? Anybody know? Hebrews chapter 11. Good. 40 verses that talk about a bunch of Old Testament men and women who had good days and bad days, who faced trials and hardships. Hebrews 11 tells us that they were tortured, that some faced jeers and floggings while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword, they were destitute, persecuted, and mistreated, yet they never ever gave up. They did not quit. And instead, they held on to the hope they had because they knew that he who promised was faithful. And so they kept moving forward no matter what. And, and God wants those people to be an example, right? Of faithful living and radical commitment. Or normal commitment, right? Because normal commitment is radical, right? You know, it's like a, a worker, right? A worker who shows up, right, at a business on time and does their job. Like, wow, what an incredible employee you are, right? Because most people, oh, I'm late, I'm sick, I'm not going to be there, I'm not going to work, I'm going to take an extra long break. So a, a, a normal worker stands out, right? You know, it, it, where it should just be normal that you show up and do your job, right? It should be normal that Christians are just serving Christ and committed to him. Hebrews 12, right after Hebrews 11, following Hebrews chapter 10, it says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great, huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Man, look how these guys live the life of faith. Let them be an example. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance a race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy waiting him, he endured the cross Disregarding the shame, now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people, then you won't become weary and give up. We need to consider how we can spur one another's own by our example. Question. Whose example has spurred you on in your faith journey? You know, was it a Sunday school teacher back when you were like 10 years old? You know, but, but, but who has spurred you on? Like, what Jesus follower have you watched and said, hey, you know what? I want to do that. I want to have that kind of commitment. I want what they have. And whose example? Like, do you think your example, and we all have a faith example, right? 
Do you think your example of living out your faith has and is spurring other believers on to love and good deeds? It can. It should. But it won't happen automatically, right? Like, hey, how can my example, like Otto, right? Can't see anything. It hurts to be there. Can't hear anything. But you know what? I got to be there to spur other people on. Our presence, our example spurs on, and so do our words. See, considering, let us consider, requires some thought and reflection. Like, you, you don't just rush into someone's life and start digging spurs into their side without giving some thought to what you're going to say and what you're going to do, right? You know, I got my spur, I'm going to start, I'm going to start banging you with it. No. We give careful and prayerful thought. Hey, what can we say in order to spur a Jesus follower on to love and good deeds? And here's the deal. Just as with a sports team, not all people are spurred on the same way. Parents, right? If you have more than one child, right? Not all kids are spurred on the same way. In fact, the very same words that would move one person to be encouraged and press forward, those same words could cause another person to be discouraged and crushed. And so we need to consider and discover what that person's spurring on language is. We all have the love language, but hey, what is that person spurring on language? What is it that I can say that will spur them on to love and good deeds? Listen, our words are powerful. We've talked about that countless times here. Hebrews 18.21, the tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Oh, this tastes so good. If a wise man comes wise speech, the words of the wise are persuasive. Oh, the power of encouraging and building up one another words. You can do this. You're doing a great job. Keep going. I'm so proud of you. You're so good at it. Have you ever considered doing this? I think you would absolutely crush it. You got this. God is with you. Don't be afraid. Don't quit. Listen, there's also a time for challenging and tough words. There's a time to ask, are you sure that's a good course to take? There's a time to say, I love you, but I can't agree with what you're doing. The things you're doing, the words you're saying, the way you're living, the way you're treating others, and the commitments you are breaking is wrong. There's a time to express our concern for a person's soul, right? Like, we need to spur people on to accept and surrender to the gospel, amen? People you may just see on the holidays, family members, friends. And there's a time to spur one another on and express concern for a Jesus follower's lack of commitment to Christ and their lukewarm discipleship. Anybody uncomfortable yet? We're almost done. And I don't know what specifically, I don't know what you specifically need to be spurred on about right now. The Holy Spirit does. So here are some common areas where we all, at times, need some challenging and convicting, spurring on words. And if the Holy Spirit wants to say any of these words to you, you know, I've been praying that you and I will receive them with open minds and open hearts. You are not reading the Word of God like you should. God has so much he wants to say to you, but you cannot hear him. He wants to help you carry your burdens, but you're not 
close enough to him, consistently enough for him to take those burdens from you. You're still holding on to bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart from things in the past. It's hurting you. It's hurting others. It's hurting God. And you need to let it go today. You're not loving your wife as Christ loved the church. It's time to step up and become the husband that God created you to be. God has given you so many gifts and talents. It's time for you to use them to help this church be stronger and to help his kingdom expand. Don't quit. Don't give up. God knows how hard it's been for you. But keep doing the right thing. And you'll reap a harvest if you don't give up. God has forgiven you. Accept his forgiveness and stop holding on to guilt and shame. Amen? Your commitment to gathering with this church has not been what it should. That needs to change. You've not shared your faith with anyone for a long time. Ask God, who's forever, he would like you to help change. You know that God expects you to be generous and sacrificial in your giving to his church. You have not been. Like your percentage giving is not at all what God wants. Your words are so powerful. <laughs> Who's calling me? Is that Spam Risk again? He calls me all the time. Yep. Anybody get calls from Spam Risk? Okay. That's my wife. She lost. Hey, I'm almost done, sweetie. Your words are so powerful. <laughs> Use them to build others up. Stop being so negative and critical. <laughs> All the time. That, that was the next statement. <laughs> Praise God from. <laughs> I did it. I'll show you later. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You are, uh, you are far too accepting with some sins in your life. You need to repent and turn away from them today. Yet God is ready right now to help you become. God is ready right now today, December 5th, 2021, to help you become the husband, the wife, the parent, the person he created you to be. It's time to get up, accept his offer, and make it happen. Stop making excuses Stop settling for less than mediocrity, just getting by, and for lukewarmness in your walk with Jesus Christ. Now, now we got to be careful how we share our challenging, tough words. But sometimes love demands that we share them. Love demands that we speak the truth. I love Paul's question. He asked the church in Galatia. I've now, have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Right? Like all, all those things I just read, that's truth. I didn't make that stuff up. If I made it up, I'd make it real easy to be a Christian, right? You know, because I'm lazy, right? You know, I didn't make that stuff up. 
Uh, like this Proverbs 27, 6, wounds from a friend can be trusted. But enemy multiplies kisses. An enemy's like, hey, keep living the way you're living, and enemy will make you feel good about it. No discipline is enjoyable while it has happened. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Why should we spur one another's on? Because God's investment, because their potential. And let me just say right now, I see a room full of potential, right? And I see people that God has made an unbelievable investment in. And I want to see the consequences that flow out from your life and mine to be love and good deeds. So much potential waiting to be unleashed in us and through us. And how do we encourage? By our presence, by our example, and by our words. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Proximus. Proximus. It's like Maximus from Gladiator. Maximus. I, I got no explanation. <laughs> Talk to my wife, she'll explain. I, I'm not well, I've never claimed to be well. I, would you stand and pray with me? And, and, uh, and just, you know, if you have a, a burden, you need prayer, please don't leave without talking to me, grabbing an elder, grabbing a brother or sister, Right? No one has to do life by themselves, right? And the opportunity is there for you to do that today, you know? And if you choose to hold it and not let people help you, that's on you, right? That's not on, we can't force you, but don't have, carry burdens by yourself, right? You know, and if you're here and you are searching for your walk with God, you know, you want to talk about, hey, how do I get right with God? Man, I'd love to talk to you about that. Uh, Father God, we love you, and Holy Spirit, I trust you that, that you will, Apply what I tried to say to each and every heart in here, including my own. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the crazy investment you made in us, the potential that is in us, that's ignited by the Holy Spirit who dwells among us and in us. And and Father God, I just pray that right now as we sing this song, Lord, that we would just adore you and praise you for who you are, that you would love us. Help us become a body, Lord, that spurs one another on to love and good deeds. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done and what you're doing and will do. In Jesus' name, amen.